He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I'll once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. This time we will start with Rigby. Yeah, we are smack dab in the middle of a good old-fashioned rider strike here in California. Yes, you are. Depending on if the strike is still going on when this episode airs, as my guess is it probably will be. The last one took over 100 days, and we're on day one. So, And I think the riders have more more leverage this time around. So we could be at this for a while, guys. We could be uh, could be a summer without, uh, without riders. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a good thing for Hollywood to slow down for a second. Yeah, I think Maybe it stop. is. Pushing there's, out so much mediocre streaming content. There's too much shit on TV. So if this if this is what it takes, you remember those shows last time this happened. This is mostly focusing on TV because the uh, how much streaming has increased. Yeah, yeah. They don't get residuals like they do for like syndicated stuff on on network stuff. So that's why the writers are so mad because they're like, they, you've never been more popular, but we've never been, you know, mm-hmm. paid lower basically. So. They have a good angle here for this one, so it should be interesting. Absolutely. Case, after our last uh, recording, a friend of mine said, hey, I heard you talking about the movie Tootsie. I said, well, yes. I enjoyed that movie thoroughly. And she said, you know, Tootsie's playing at the uh, theater downtown in Dallas. She invited me to go watch. I prepared myself to rent a tux, buy the theater binoculars, and I was going to like shave a pencil-thin mustache. But fortunately, uh, I didn't follow through with any of that. But I did go to the theater, and I had a hell of a time. It was a really, really fun performance. I would love to see you rock that outfit and just completely be condescending, but like in an ironic way. That would be funny for a moment, and then I think you'd regret it like instantaneously. Yes, 100%. And uh, it was interesting because Gina Davis's character was not part of the stage version. Her characters kind of split up between uh, or combined with with another character. I got legitimately fifteen to twenty belly laughs during the stage performance that I did not get when I watched the movie. It was fun. I'm cultured. I'm. I don't know. It's, I go to the stage now. <laughs> You're know. cultured. I, I love that. <laughs> All right, James. Gina Davis Jr., who just turned one, by the way, by the time this will come out. She'll be a one-year-old. It's crazy how quick time flies. That is crazy. So Happy birthday, Gina Davis Jr. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I can't think of a better transition. Aubrey. Oh, it's all good over here. Been to a lot of movies. Bo is Afraid. Jumped into the Bo is Afraid discourse online. By that, I mean I just wrote about it and loved that movie. It is one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. I'll never see anything like it again. Go watch it. Chevalier is a great movie that's out that not a lot of people are talking about. And it's really, really good uh, with a lot of really good actors in it. Are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. Great book. Better movie. Really? Better movie? Not better movie. Not better movie. Great book. Also great movie. Had to say. Okay. Yeah, I know. I came out of pocket. My bad. Doing weekly recaps of Maisel 
on the website, post credit scene, doing really good with that. There is a lot of really good TV on right now. And this final season of Maze was just one of them. Mm-hmm. That's all for me. My update is this, and I bet I think it's a couple choice words for everybody. So I was thinking this can't be happening. So much I can't explain. There's a logical explanation for everything. Uh, down darkened alleyways, somebody calls my name. But if you need to, you can reach me. You can call me. This is where I'll be. Transylvania 6. <laughs> 5,000. Transylvania 6. That song's still stuck in your head. R- Rigby, you love that song. You've had that stuck in your head like I have for the last three weeks? Uh, I, I thought we were going to avoid that tonight, so I'll, uh, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> hated that movie i hated that song that's all you need to know mike and i joked about it but i have not been able to get that song out of my head for the last three weeks it's like going to be my number one song played on spotify at the end of the year it's gonna be hilarious (laughs) bad movie great theme song don't listen to rigby (laughs) but we're excited to bring back crystal clark she resides in nashville tennessee but will always rep the 757 as her homeland she refuses to leave college is a lover of formula one a left-handed enthusiast and chair of the board of directors for Nashville's nonprofit film center, the Belcourt Theater. She was previously with us for the Halle Berry episode. Welcome back, Crystal. And how are things going? Thank you so much. I turned 40 at the beginning of April, so I had a big old milestone birthday, which was great. Congrats. That was great. Had a little party, went to Palm Beach for a little bit and acted like I was very wealthy. So it was super fun. (laughs) And the last movie I saw was A Thousand and One with Tiana Taylor. Have y'all seen that? Yes. I haven't seen it. It premiered that Sundance. I know that. Yeah, it's pretty great. She does an incredible job. It's, it's heavy, um, but I was very proud of the cast. They all did ridiculously well. Gives you a lot to think about. And it's across the backdrop of New York City and how it sort of evolves over time. But it's really great. So I wish more people would see it. Critically, I think it's doing well, but I don't think people are going to see it. So check it out if you get the chance. So That's what you're here for. You're on the 1001 uh, promo tour. Make a stop here in the month. I am. I just, I just think she deserves a lot of kudos for it. She's not singing anymore. So maybe she's just digging into acting. So. I was just talking to two of my friends about this, this movie in particular, because they were asking about it. And I'm like, somebody dropped the ball that was involved with this movie because they missed the target audience because she's got a big fan base and she killed. She's a huge, and I don't think anyone knows about it. They don't because they, they, both of them were fans and they found it. They just kind of randomly found it and they asked me about it. They missed, they missed an opportunity with that one because she kills in this and she, she does really well. And critics were pointing her out Everyone. and her fans would have eaten this up. And so they just messed up. They just didn't tell anybody about this movie. So pretty sad. So if you're listening and you just want to go watch a bunch of Tayana Taylor stuff, we get it. We understand. Thanks for making it. This you far. should. She's really. T- and listen to a whole lot of her stuff. She's fantastic. Super talented. Mm-hmm. All right. Birthdays. May 11th, uh, Rigby. It sounds like this is going to take us a while. Yeah, huge list tonight. We got one. Mr. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson, Coen Brothers' favorite. And today I learned that he directed the 2001 movie O, which is a retelling of Othello starring Josh Hartnett. And Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, what? I had no idea. What? Did you not know that? No, I didn't know that. I did not know that. Tim Blake? No way. I've seen that movie more times than I care to admit, and it's not very good. 
Um, That's interesting. <laughs> but I will fight you that it's not very good. Little teaser for the Tim Blake Nelson episode once upon a time. Yeah, Tim Blake Nelson has been in a lot of Coen Brothers stuff. Uh, Minority Report. I know he's in the Marvel Universe. Holes. He's in yeah, Holes. Holes. I always yeah. remember him. Yeah. Holes. But his character is making a return in Marvel in the upcoming movie, Captain America movie. So he'd be a fun Munson because he's been in some some good movies. So. He was also in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I don't know if y'all ever watched that weird show on Netflix. Great show. Great <laughs> show. So fantastic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Loved him in Watchmen. Watchmen. Mm. I will say Timmy Blake is 56. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going uh, I'm I've going been going way under everybody lately, so I'm, I'm going to shoot over and see what happens. I am always struggles with this type of person. And I have no idea, but I'm going with 50. When I say this type of person, I say the middle-aged white guy. Because they all pretty much look the same. Yeah. Middle-aged character it's, actor, white guy. No, it's we, we hit 45 and then we look 40. Like, he could have been 25 when he looked 45. And he could have been 85 when he looked 45. This is a fact. It's impossible to guess this age. So I'm going 50. I'm going to go over. At least 65. Uh, that sounds right. I want to, I'll go 61. I'm suddenly very self-conscious. I will go 59. Oh, last but not least, Crystal nailed it. 59 on the dot? 59. That was close. Yep. Uh, he's been through life. His face is very <laughs> weathered. <laughs> <laughs> no comment there, but... Uh... That's a description. <laughs> I feel good, though. My 56 guess was pretty solid then. I don't feel this good reduction. Happy birthday, Tim Blake Nelson. This is episode 83, and we had five actors on the wheel for 80, episode 83, which were Jason Statham. I know Craig's sad about uh, that man not being picked because that would have been fun. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne, Idris Elba, and Lauren Weedman. Great wheel, great list, but it doesn't matter because the wheel selected Christine Baranski, who's also a lot of fun, and Crystal decided to join us for Christine Baranski. So we're going to dig into her career. As always, we'll get into a lot of it. We're not going to hit all 94 credits. We'll talk about the highs and lows, everything in between that we think is interesting. And her career, as we we will talk about, has a variety of TV, theater, film. She's done a little bit of everything on the entertainment side. But before we get into the nitty gritty, we always start with a little actor trivia to see if James can stump us Fast and Furious style. So, Crystal and the listeners at home, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to read off three facts, two of which are going to be true about Christine Baranski. One of them is not going to be true about her, but will actually be true about one of the many cast members of the illustrious Fast and Furious franchise. You guys are going to have to guess which one is not true about Christine Baranski. Fact number one, she won a scholarship, a sal, how do you say this? Salutatorian? God, second place. In her high school. Uh, Salutatorian. Salutatorian. Oh, my God. It's a tough word. Obviously. Yeah. Obvi- yeah. It's clearly you got it, and I didn't. I was going to say, yeah. you were not the salutatorian, James. Yeah. <laughs> so she won a scholarship for being second in her high school, as well as being the most hardworking and economically needy student to attend Juilliard, but spent the money on a summer vacation in Europe instead. Uh, fact number two. She has won all four major Broadway theater awards, a Tony, an Obie, a Lordle, and a Drama Desk Award. In fact, number three, when her star was unveiled, unveiled on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, she fell on top of it 
openly and uncontrollably weeping. She later commented that she'd been dreaming about this moment since she was six years old. Those are great, James. I think three is the lie. I think that's the rock. <laughs> I, like that. I like the visual of that. Well, I love Could that. you imagine the rock? the rock who was raised by a professional wrestler just being like, ever since I was six, I wanted to be a Hollywood star. Uh, but that's the point. I think he did it like ironically. He's a good actor, you know? Does he even have one? <laughs> Come on, Chris. Oh, this is for the jokes here. I could it's for the jokes. <laughs> Really he does have one. I think he's got one. I would imagine he does. Yeah, Craig, tell him anybody can get a walk of fame star. If David Spade can get one, anybody can get one. Okay, yeah. let's be honest. Um, I, you know what? I'm gonna follow Rigby's path of serious answers because I think fact two is the lie because that is none other than theater acting legend Scott Eastwood, son of Clint Eastwood, who obviously is known for incredible things on the stage. So it has to be him. Of course, naturally. Fast X. I'm going to say that fact four is the lie. And Baranski's from Buffalo. And if Jason Statham were born in the United States, he would have been from Buffalo. Oh, that's new. Yeah. <laughs> Made up his own fact. <laughs> We're 83 episodes in, Crystal. We'd yeah, say fact four. I was like, what? <laughs> and with that in mind, I'm going to go the third fact is the lie. And it is obviously Jaw Rule. Yes. Oh my God! I still have to say a rapper, and he—the list of rappers that could possibly have this star is rough in the Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah, dude, if John Rolls got so one, I think it would be funny. I have three words for you, Aubrey, and that is, "Where is John?" Firefest. <laughs> oh no! I need John to make sense of all of this. Anyways, Crystal, you're up. Delia one is the lie. I love it. Straight point. Is it because I couldn't say the word salutatorian? <laughs> Salute? Salute? Salutator. Salutatorian. There you go. Salutator. Rian. It's a tough word. Um, <laughs> oh, actually, and you know what? We kind of went across the board there, too. So I'll just uh, start in order. So uh, won a scholarship for being ranked second. I'm sure there's a word that could say that in a more eloquent way uh, in her high school for being the most hardworking and economically needed student uh, to attend Juilliard, but spent that money on a summer vacation in Europe instead. That is true. She was awarded $1,000 for living expenses. And in 1974, that went a little bit further than it does today. But she does acknowledge that that money never actually made it to school and she just spent the summer touring Europe before going there uh, and receiving her Bachelor of Arts degree from Juilliard in 1974. Fact number two, she's won all four major Broadway theater awards. Uh, that is true. That's a Tony Award, Obie, a uh, Laurel, and a, a Drama Desk Award. She actually even won an Emmy later, but that's not a Broadway award. She spent about 20 years on uh, in the New York theater circuit, both on and off Broadway. She's actually got two Tony Awards and two Drama Desk Awards and was inducted into the American Theater Hall of Fame. So when it comes to the the stage, as Craig was calling it earlier, she is up there as one of the most successful actresses. In fact, number three, when her star was unveiled on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, she fell on top of it, openly and uncontrollably weeping, commenting she'd been dreaming that day since she was six. Not true about Christine Baranski, who unfortunately does not have a star at the moment, but is true about Rita Moreno, who is Hollywood royalty and at the age of 91, oh. cashing in on her grandkids' inheritance to play 
the abuela in the upcoming Fast X movie. So a whole career of being Hollywood royalty right before the deadline. Let's get one Vin Diesel movie in here so the kids can have a beach house. Rita Moreno is going to be in a Fast and Furious movie. Yeah. So just burn the world down. Just let when it go. The, when a check is big enough, you know, eventually oh someone's like, gosh. fine. I, I do want a pool. You know, why not? <laughs> when is the Fast and Furious festival at your theater? Never going to happen. <laughs> James declined my invite to go see Fast X. I was <laughs> proud and disappointed in him all at the same time. Uh, snapshot in box office history. What do we got? I feel like as I was preparing for this, the writer's strike had already begun. And it is <laughs> difficult to craft a, a solid <laughs> box office snapshot for our girl Baranski. It's really tough to forecast what kind of impact she's having on the box office because in a lot of roles, they're they're very, very minimal. And, and the most notable work that she does that she's known for is TV and stage. This was a difficult one to pull together. I will go through the numbers nonetheless. Probably not surprising to anybody, but one of her top performing categories is critic rank. She comes in 39th out of 83. Her total box office was actually higher than I thought it was going to be ranking her 32nd, mm. thanks to a few animated voice roles. She does relatively well 35th and 31st in her box office performances. Average, nothing to write home about box office profile. Out of 83, she comes in ranked 57th. That feels right. Yeah. It's about where I would predict in the 50s somewhere. Okay. Well, we'll see if that monthly meter lines up at 57 when it's all said and done. Look at this. We got through that part without spending another 10 minutes like we did with Gina Davis, because that was some fascinating shit. All right. So first major role we're going to talk about is 1986. So before that, this is all the, the early life stuff. First and foremost, she was born in 1952 into a Polish family in Buffalo, as Case talked about. So proud upstate New York gal. She was the high school class president for four years at an all-girls Catholic school and the salutatorian as we talked about earlier. So she did very well in school. She did. Is that that word? If you ain't first, you're last. I think somebody said that once upon a time, but I don't think that necessarily applies to your situation here. But yeah, you if you watch her interviews, she'll talk about her Juilliard journey and how challenging it was. Like she got put on a waiting list and they made, made her like change her speech patterns and how she enunciates words. And it was not necessarily an easy process. But she eventually got her Bachelor in Fine Arts from Juilliard, enrolled in 1970, and graduated by 1974. I think she originally got the acting bug because her grandparents were theater actors in Buffalo, where she's from. Her parents weren't, but her grandparents were. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think she said her grandma lived with her. They shared a room when she was growing up. And her grandma and grandpa were in the Polish theater. And so she grew up knowing that she wanted to be a performer. But it wasn't acting at first. She wanted to be a dancer. And then she was sort of guided towards the acting route. So Her grandpa brought her to a, I believe, a performance of a popular Polish dance crew. And uh, after the show, her grandpa got up and, and he just yelled bravo and was so excited he was crying. And she puts that as the moment where she decided she wanted to be involved in, in entertainment. Bravo. Bravo. So her first... Te uh, television work was in 1964. 12 years old, she did an episode of Another World, so when she was very young. But the big key for her professional acting 
uh, debuts. So she graduated in 1974 from Juilliard and made her Broadway debut in 1980. The 70s were filled with lots of um, other types of theater. So really, the start in her career was on the th- on the stage, <laughs> n- not unlike a lot of other performers we've covered over the years. In 1981, she was on a soap opera called Texas. She did a couple episodes of that, so went to the soap side, which you could see why her style would work for that. She's she can be very overly dramatic in her her acting. So, you know, the soaps these soaps are running for decades up, upon decades, and they have a formula and they do it well. But her first uh, Munson crossover was in 1982. She was in a Midsummer Night's Dream playing Elena uh, alongside William Hurt. What didn't she do the film a couple years later too? It's very possible. I get them confused. But on doing some stage work with Willie Hurt in obviously a very popular play. Mm-hmm. Love Sick, 1983. She played a nymphomaniac. I almost watched it because <laughs> I was like, that's interesting. That seems a little bit different than some of the other things she's done. Uh, but what I didn't get what an awful it. credit. Yeah. yeah. Literally, yeah. that's her yeah, character name. Not even a name. Right? Oh, God. Nymphomaniac. <laughs> that's what it is. Fortunately, it doesn't have like a number behind it, like Nymphomaniac 6. <laughs> <laughs> Just a gaggle of nymphomaniacs on the movie. I don't know. I feel like that was like a big term around like puberty for me. And then like as I got older, it's like, yeah, it's just like not a thing. I don't know. People became way more comfortable sexually. And it's like, yeah, nymphomaniac's not really a thing. The only time it's come up is because of the the two-part movies with Lars von Trier and Nymphomaniac. Yeah, the, yeah one and fucking, that's exactly. It. I, that's that's it. It. I just remember that being like a phrase when I was like 13 and it never was a real wow, thing. Okay. 13. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where'd you grow? <laughs> Long Island, baby. Yeah. Uh, when you're the, the youngest <laughs> sibling by far, no one cares that you're a child. You just got to mature immediately. All right. We're talking about adult <laughs> topics now. <laughs> so if you watch her interviews, a really interesting thing she talks about is her husband, her late husband, Matthew Cowles, whom she met in the early 80s, who was very different from her. Mm -hmm. And they got married in 1983 until his passing in 2014. They had two daughters together. She talks about how she was really struggling at the time. Like she was basically asking for like uh, somebody decent to come into her life. They'd really been struggling in the love life game and met him. And he was a very different type of like a rugged guy who she met. What was it? What was he famous for? He's famous for playing like a uh, a pimp on a '70s sitcom, right? No, played a pimp on a soap opera. That's what it was. Yeah, I want to say it was like General Hospital or some shit like that too. A well-known soap opera. Yeah, still going. To my point, still freaking going. Opposites attract, right? That's what she needed. So yeah, they were married for thirty-one years. I think is my math correct there. And she hasn't gotten remarried since. And they had to have the motorcycle at the wedding. She she said she got her uh, wedding dress dirty and she still hasn't cleaned the wedding dress from that because it was just such a moment for her. Yeah. 1984, after getting married, things got real, things got big for her. She won her first Tony for Best Actors for her role as Charlotte in The Real Thing, which we haven't seen a lot of actors who have won Tonys. I mean... I think they fit on one hand. Matthew Broderick. That's why the EGOT is such a big deal, right? To get that. We might have three that we've covered who have won Tonys. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who else. John Lithgow, maybe? I don't know if Lithgow ever won one. Jennifer Lopez, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Daryl Hannah. There's got to be more. I'm just, yeah. The Tony's such a big deal. I heard Henry Winkler 
in an interview this week say if you could do anything with his career, he'd want to win a wow. That's how nice. Like that's how wow. impressive an award that is. Legitimacy, right? Mm-hmm. That you can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I could do anything in my career, it'd be to play Mr. Coach Klein. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I would cover I would cover Winkler with bees, personally. He's so good, man. <laughs> but not her first Tony. One of two. But first one in 1984. 1984, she had an episode of All My Children. So some more soaps action there. And then The Equalizer. We've ran into a lot of actors who did at least one episode of The Equalizer in the 80s. I've learned over time that that, that was a huge show then. Like at least 10 we've covered that have been on that show. Mm-hmm. Which is going to take us to first major role. 1986's Nine and a Half Weeks. She plays Thea and Rigby has it. Yeah, so I'll keep this brief because Baranski is barely in this. So I'd seen this movie before, and obviously not for Christine Baranski's reasons, but <laughs> I wish I had known that she was barely in this because I honestly would have suggested that we do another movie just because her role is so small. The challenge with her is that so many of her films, she's a small supporting actor. Yeah, That's a lot of her roles. Our major reviews are going to be, I think, be short. And we'll talk about the meteor stuff. Yeah. So don't feel bad that your review is short. She's in one scene. She plays Kim Basinger's art community friend. So Kim Basinger is an art dealer who gets this twisted sort of love, if you want to even want to call it a relationship, with Mickey Rourke, who's a Wall Street trader. The movie's most famous for its like ridiculous sex scenes that involve anything from masochism to food to dancing in shadows like every other Adrian Lin movie out there. I've seen this before and I remember it not hating it as much as I did when I rewatched it this time. It was just bad. Like it, there's no there's no story to it. It's much worse than a much better Adrian Lin movie which came out a year later, Fatal Attraction, cuz that actually has a plot to it. So what was the deal with the spoon on her face? I saw in the still when I yeah, she, up Green Bransky nine and a half weeks. So the one scene she's in, uh it's a dinner party at at Kim Basinger's house with a bunch of her art art world friends. And literally, like, they're, like, drinking wine and stuff, and then she, like, says, look what I can do, and, like, bounces a spoon on her nose. It, you know, it stays there for 10 seconds. Like, it's kind of cool. And then that's the only scene she's in the movie. Like, that's it. It's, like, really bizarre. And yet she stole the movie. That's impressive. <laughs> it's funny you say that, because I was reading, like, a, The Ringer has this this uh, sort of retrospective look at some movies and they, they have a series called, are we sure it's good? And nine and a half weeks is one of them. And <laughs> they mentioned Christine Baranski being in this movie. And she says she didn't really speak. She just does the spoon thing, but it was enough. My God, it was enough. So that explains her role in it. The one thing I'll say, it's not a very good movie, but it made a lot of money. It's, it's, it's got a cult following obviously because it's super erotic and, and cheesy and very eighties. So if that got her foot in the door and, and made her a bigger star, more power to her, I guess. But that's really all the credit I'll give her for this one. I don't think that movie had to be good because of the erotic scenes. Like, that was the whole focus of it, right? So, it didn't have to be good. Kim Basinger in the mid-80s. I mean, right. she, it was hot. You know, she's Kim. And like The scene, like, only because I love this song. Like, the scene where they she dances to You Can Leave Your Hat On by Joe Cocker. That's an awesome scene. Mm-hmm. But, like, the rest of the movie, I could care less right. for. And how often has that food scene been spoofed? Like, you know what I mean? It's That's not yeah. because of Christine Baranski, it, but, you know. Side note, this will take 10 seconds, but there's a funny Seinfeld episode where George wants to combine sex and food in the bedroom. And he wants to give, he tries to convince his girlfriend that uh, Mickey Rourke fed 
Kim Basinger a uh, corned beef sandwich uh, in nine and a half weeks because he wants to. He wants to have that. He wants to have that when he's having sex with his girlfriend. So, so it had kind of cultural significance there. If if they're doing it on Seinfeld, okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch this Rigby because I'm, my big criticism with Christine Branskin is nothing that she actually. It's not of her because she controls none of it. But like, you can't find anything of her movies free. Like streaming, I have we have access to like every streaming thing possible, and a handful of her movies are available for free. Most of them you have to rent. So like, I only watched so many because I like busted my renting budget for a month's episode. I was like, a fifth movie, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I got this on Amazon. It was two ninety nine. So if yeah. it was three ninety nine, I, I might I might have suggested <laughs> something else. The only thing I'm gonna add is, I just now thought I watched this movie several days ago, and I just now connected the dots. They parodied that food scene and don't be a menace didn't they yeah yep oh with the oh that's yeah. what that's uh-huh. referencing that i've never yeah. seen nine and a half weeks yeah oh man i love don't be a menace but i've never seen this movie so this is the first time that i've seen this movie so it didn't click to me no. until just recently and i was just like oh that's what they were yeah. doing don't be a that's menace the baby's lunch. that's the baby's uh-uh fool <laughs> that's the baby's lunch there you go. Now you know the record. Wrong hole, fool. <laughs> well, let's keep it cruising. So 1986, she crosses over with uh, Daryl Hannah in Legal Eagles, played Carol, and then won another Tony for Best Actress in 1989 for her role in Rumors. And if you watch that clip that is in the show notes, or the clip on YouTube which shows her winning the award, the two individuals who announce her, well, at least announce the, the nominees, are B.D. Wong and John Lithgow. Cool. Which is a fun little connection. Kyle, in that uh, acceptance speech, she also mentions that it, she's the hundredth person to ever receive an award working on or appearing in a Neil Simon production. Mm. What you need to do is just tie yourself to his work, and you, it seems like it's a surefire way to win. Mm-hmm. All right, that's going to take us to high critic score, which is 1990's Reversal of Fortune. And Kay says this was, I know Rigby was hyping this one up at the end uh, before we went into our three-week prep journey. So I'm interested to see what Case thinks of it. Reversal of Fortune is a 1990 American drama based on the book Reversal of Fortune inside the Von Bulow case. It stars Glenn Close, Ron Silver, Jeremy Irons, and uh, with appearance by our girl, Christine Baranski. Essentially, this movie is about the appeal of Klaus Von Bulow's. He was convicted of two different attempts on his wife's life. And his wife is played by Glenn Close. And he ends up appealing. And this is the story of the appeal. There's some really interesting things that I, that I took out of this. Number one, it's based on the book by Alan Dershowitz. This might have been the case that thrust him to the highest profile lawyer in the country. I did not realize that before this. I mean, Alan Dershowitz is affiliated with high-profile law cases. Second, Glenn Close and Jeremy Irons are really good at acting. (laughs) (laughs) Especially Jeremy Irons. Holy shit. Glenn Close is in a coma for 90% of her time in the movie, but... And she's still incredible. I know, it's great. (laughs) And the nice part about her is she gets to be in a coma during the movie and then is providing the voiceover while she's in the coma and then she's getting to act out her roles when she's not. This movie was really well written and all of the casting 
is really effective. There's not a lot of wasted characters or wasted actors in this movie. The final point I have, and then I'll talk about Baranski, is when I started doing my uh, my pre-watch research, I saw that Ron Silver was playing the lead role of Alan Dershowitz. Sure is. And I thought to myself, that's how I would handle it. Like if, if there was a Craig K story, I would hire like the sexiest male actor I could find at that time. And that's who would play me, <laughs> kind of like Kenny Powers did in uh, Eastbound and Down. In this particular case, we don't get the sexy, suave, blue steel version of Ron Silver. We get a, a very true-to-the-character and, and well-played version. This is a really good movie, and it's well-made. Baranski plays the final girlfriend that we see of the main character, Klaus, played by Jeremy Irons. The, you know what? The one, the one thing that she does do well, and she helps us story along is you really hate Jeremy Irons character in this movie. He's just a pompous asshole and Baranski kind of supports that and kind of plays that up a little bit and kind of gets him going. So she, she plays a good role in this movie throughout her career. She's always played a really good kind of like sophisticated, intelligent character. It's very, very socialite. Yes. Uh, but my final thing was um, she's playing, Bransky's playing an upper-class socialite with equal streaks of sophistication and pompous annoyance. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to note that because it's like her first entry into that character archetype that she yep. hits many times in her career. It's like the first example. That's her sweet spot. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Which is hilarious when you consider her upbringing. You know, blue yeah. collar, buffalo. Right. And then she turns into a socialite go-to. Debutante, holier than thou, better than you, that kind of thing. Something about her face, though, I think it worked. Like, her, her face is upturned, right? So you already look at her and go, ew. You know what I mean? There's something <laughs> about her. Yeah. She looks like she's pompous and like she's looking down on you. Just the way her nose is upturned and there's something about her look. To support that point, Crystal, there's a scene in this movie where it's one of probably the biggest scenes we'll talk about. He's trying to speak nicely about Glenn Close, who's in a coma, to Dershowitz. And she's just like, she's spoiled. She sucks. Ah, you hate her. Just admit it. Like, it's really, really well done. Right. And I think at one point she congratulates him because he's going to get like his thousand dollars back or something. Million and dollar bail. It, it's just so awful. I'm like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Really like this movie. I think I, I think too. Jeremy Irons is fantastic in this. He obviously he won Best Actor, so yeah, he was awesome. So good. All right, 1990 to 1994. We've got a couple biggies. Well, one major biggie, but first thing. Three episodes of Law and Order. Even though she's an upstate New York gal, she still does Law and Order. James. Still gets it in. Thank God. I'd be sick if we had one episode where we didn't discuss discuss Lower Order. <laughs> it's like a hotbed, right? Yeah. Your your career it's a checkpoint in your career you have to hit. Are you okay. even an actor if you haven't been in Lower Order? Yeah. yeah. Even Aubrey's been a, a, a freaking extra in a back of a shot. So he's he's cruising over there. I'm also an Oppenheimer. Are you really? What? I didn't know this. Is that real? Are you really? Joke. I was like, hey, everybody's dog. in that movie. Oh. You and Laura. You and Laura Benneke just. If I was an Oppenheimer, I wouldn't be teaching. All right, so 93, she does that, has a crossover with Matthew Broderick in The Night We Never Met, played Lucy. And then a role 
that is, I think, pretty different from anything we've really seen in her career. And I, I kind of wish she played more roles like this. She plays Becky in Adam's Family Values. This is the first one of my like Baranski uh, research. Me too, Kyle. This was this is what I remember her in earliest for sure. She plays just like a. What's the best way to describe her camp leader character? Very high energy, over the top. Yeah. Annoying. Too cheery. Yeah. Yeah. Like overly cheery. And they react well to the hijinks of, of Wednesday and Pugsley. The guy, I can't remember his last name. The guy who plays her sidekick is their, their chemistry is hilarious. Peter, Peter McNichols. That's his name. He's hilarious. Angelica Houston also, obviously, in this mm-hmm. we covered previously. Um, I just enjoy watching her and uh, Raul. I, I just, the, oh, you, the jokes are corny, but they're they're sexual and hilarious. I love them. I love the Adams family. This one specifically is like the coronation of Christina Ricci. This is when she was like the child actress, you know. Dude, the the scene, the Thanksgiving massacre oh, it's, scene, it's is, is, is pinnacle. Yeah. And Christine Baranski is right in the center of that, of reacting to what's going on in the middle of that chaos. And that's going to take us to our largest audience gap, which is 1994's The War. James has it. Let me tell you, this movie, it is not as bad as the critics. This is like the second movie in a row where maybe even third. 25% from critics. The critics hated it, and I vehemently disagree with them. So it's set in the 1970s, uh, following just after Vietnam in rural Mississippi. And a Vietnam vet played by Kevin Costner is trying to adjust to his life after military service. But this is when PTSD was like just becoming acknowledged as a thing. And so he can't keep a job because he keeps having these nightmares. But he finds kind of a peace of mind in his new job and in reestablishing a relationship with his family. Uh, As he's kind of working through this trauma, his children at the time, uh, his son, who's played by Elijah Wood, and daughter quote-unquote, waged war against a group of neighborhood kids over the ownership of a treehouse. And so it's like, it's this really charming and heartfelt 90s movie that does kind of have like an emotional pull on it. And it does kind of make it feel like the stakes are big for what essentially just boils down to like a family drama. Um, I think where this movie struggles a little bit, I think why the critics at the time dunked on it is it, it tries to do a lot in this third act and tries to like talk about PTSD and poverty and racism and cover coming of age story all in one. And it gets a little sloppy tying them together at the end, but it is definitely not a 25 for me. I am firmly on the audience side here. I'd give it more like a 65. It is just enough nineties charm and cheese to it. And it's pretty well done up until the very end where it does get a little, stretched thin on tying everything together. But Rigby, I was laughing with your review because uh, with my review, I actually timed it. And uh, Bransky doesn't appear in this movie until an hour and nine minutes in. And she has a total of six minutes of screen time. (laughs) In that six minutes, she is playing a teacher. And she has one scene where she's not so subtly racist towards the students. And it is probably an unnecessary scene, but it does give two of the child actors a chance to give really good monologues and heartfelt monologues. But I think it was right around the point in the movie where it's like, I think we're, you know, like maybe if it was just like one storyline, but you're going with like four at the time and which is where it kind of lost points. I don't think her character was 
or seen was necessary in this movie. But again, she wasn't in it for that long. However, she did do it pretty well. Going off of what you guys were talking about, kind of like the condescending, snooty, like she does that well. And in this, it's, you know, the the racism isn't outright like you would see in a lot of 90s movies where you look back now and you're like, holy shit, like how did they put that in a kid's movie? In this one, it was more so like, hey, let's adjust the seats in the class. And all of a sudden you kind of realize that the seats in the class are adjusted in a way where clearly the white kids are in the front of it, front of the classroom. And the kids notice this and they kind of give a speech about how she's kind of a shithead. And she does it well and the kids do it well, but it's unnecessary. It's like none of this needed to even be in this movie about a Vietnam War veteran who has PTSD and his kids who are fighting with like the local kids and he's trying to teach them life lessons about why they shouldn't be fighting with everyone. One of the things I did enjoy though in watching this is one of the kids looked so freaking familiar and you hear him talking like the voice sounds familiar and I look it up and it is Fast and Furious star Lucas Black's first role when he was like 10, <laughs> 10 years old. He's, he's one of the junkyard kids that they're going to war with. Can't hide that accent. Oh, no. And he's got a patented fight movie in this where he's a 10-year-old who loves the headbutt, and he just keeps rocking Elijah Wood the whole movie. (laughs) That's awful. What a career starter in the war. I love that. Yeah. James, I've never seen it, but I've seen that still of Kevin Costner and Elijah Wood uh, a lot before, but I've just never watched it. They have, like, genuine... They do, like, a great chemistry here as, like, father-son. It's very heartfelt. But, you know, it's like a Costner 90s movie. So, like, you know, it's going to have like a little cheese to it. Yeah. So a teacher role. Something a little bit different. That's what I'm hearing. A racist teacher. <laughs> More screen time than nine and a half weeks. So that's a win. We'll take it. 94 to 99. So 95. A movie that I saw Aubrey posted on the interwebs about. So I, I imagine he's going to have some thoughts on this. And that is New Jersey Drive. She plays a prosecutor. Okay, so I've got a lot to say. I will say this. Christine Bransky's in it for one scene. It's actually a really, it's not going to say poorly lit, but it's a dimly lit scene. So you would miss her if you're not paying attention. She says like three things. So she's inconsequential to the whole entire thing. However, you need to watch this movie. This movie is incredible. So I've thought about this movie a lot. I watched it yesterday. I saw this movie maybe 10 times as a youth because my cousin is a terrible influence. He's three years older than me. And he was like, this movie's awesome. We should watch it. And I watched it so many times, like in middle school. Okay. Um, yep. So I thought about this movie a lot today because it's the first time I watched it in maybe 20 years. Mm-hmm. It's an incredible movie. It's just, it's honestly, its plot doesn't really matter when talking about it. What it does is what matters. And it just is able to capture the complicated way that young black people but men specifically in this case grow up in these kind of just destitute and like ruined environments and have no chance so they're all in high school but they all look like they're 30 but they're all in high school and they steal cars and you there's a point in time where you look at it and you just go why do i care so much about these kids that are stealing everyone's cars in this town and it's because you look at it and you go they're just doing the shit that they do that kids do when they're around and this movie just captures the hopelessness that they all face, the hopelessness that's around that area, the role the cops play in that it doesn't even matter. It's inconsequential to what they're doing, even though it's a carrot that's dangled out in front of them. This movie is incredible. 
and why it's important for anyone to that hears my voice to watch this movie is because it gets lost just like so many great 90s quote unquote black movies do. Like, there's so many good ones. Like, just looking through the list, set it off, higher learning. Like, everybody knows about Boys in the Hood, maybe even Minister Society, which is a criterion movie now. But this movie is just as good as those movies. And there's so many other ones that fit in this line where there's just really good and it's well made. The cinematography is gorgeous. This is a beautiful movie. The acting is good. The way that the plot unfolds is incredible. This movie represents like the real things that bother me about Hollywood and the way that black people have been marginalized because this movie exists. It wasn't a thing where there wasn't an opportunity. It exists. It was made, it's well-reviewed, and it is completely forgotten. And it's a really important movie, specifically when you look at the way things have gone in relationships between Black people and police. This is a beautiful movie. It needs to be seen. I'm so glad Christine Baranski could bring it back into my life. (laughs) (laughs) When we cover Donald Faison, you have my commitment. I'll watch it. (laughs) Usually when Aubrey starts out with... I got a lot to say about this. It's usually <laughs> he's good. It's usually not the not the tone it's he not just be used. Good, right? Yeah. Hey, that's what we're here for. We get people to pay attention to Tayana Taylor. Watch New Jersey Drive. Right. That's what yes, we're here for. Two yes. great recommendations. Do those things. Great recommendations. Her biggest award-winning role in her throughout her career is her role as Marianne or Anne in Sybil, ninety-five, ninety-eight. She did eighty-seven episodes, and it's a very she plays a very funny, sassy character. She got four Emmy noms. One Emmy win, two Golden Globe noms, and a SAG win from her time in, on that show. She almost didn't get on the plane to go to the audition. That's wild. She did not want to work in L.A. She had family at that time. She, did, she didn't think she wanted to work in TV. And so she almost called her agent and said, I'm not coming. And then the studio heads didn't want her. They wanted somebody else. But when she read for the creators, they were like, we have to have her. After watching like a highlight reel on YouTube, I realize why. Because it's so quippy. It's just her being sassy, got her sunglasses right. on. Just like right. she nails it from a comedic side. She gained some points from me from just watching those clips. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great show. 96, The Birdcage plays Catherine. Birdcage is great. Great movie. Robin Williams is, he's just absolutely hysterical. Is she Robin Williams like? ex-wife in this I think so i didn't finish my rewatch i watched it the first time i don't know if they were married but it's the baby mom for sure no maybe she's his agent i'm trying to remember hank azaria kills me in this movie though think of the like uncontrollable energy of nathan lane and robin williams playing two eccentric gay men <laughs> who are in love with each other like you can't even. You can barely keep it on the screen. It's so much energy. Ethan Lane set this movie on fire. Like he, yeah, it was great. He is dynamic in this. This was my first time watching it, and I almost did it, but I pulled the trigger because of Robin Williams, and I'm so glad I did. He's so good in this. Mm-hmm. Like just the depth to to his performance, the way the way he kind of straightens it out. Which is, I was talking to my wife about that part, and I'm like, he's playing this mostly straight. Like this isn't at all how you would ever picture Robin Williams to be doing this movie when you describe it. And because of that, it really shows off how like talented as a full actor he really was. 
It's this is a really good movie. So coming off the birdcage, she hosts SNL '96, uh, and her entire monologue is all like Polish jokes, just poking fun at her Polish background. <laughs> of all the SNL ones I've seen, just like mid. It's pretty solid. It's not terrible. What's so Baranski's fade, I think one of her most notable skits was uh, she was singing poorly. You always bring in your SNL be- uh, knowledge, and I appreciate that, Kurt. I love that show. We have not talked about Third Rock from the Sun since the second episode. We talked, we did JGL and then John Lithgow back to back. And people were thinking French Stewart was coming next on the wheel. And we haven't hit it since then. And she was on Third Rock from the Sun. She plays a character who's trying to seduce John Lithgow's character. And it's pretty funny if you if you like that type of show and sitcom. She has, a, she has like a Russian accent going on. She almost has a little bit of Gina Davis in Transylvania by 65,000. Or a rugby. A little bit. I love it. I can buy that. I can see her yeah. playing that well. Bullworth, nineteen ninety eight. I think the only Halle Berry crossover we have with Crystal plays Constance. Still haven't seen it. Same. Maybe one day. <laughs> the political movie. I'll get to it eventually. I've heard the soundtrack, but I don't think I've ever seen the movie. The movie's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I feel like every time Rigby's like, it's just okay. It's just he's not selling me on it. Nineteen ninety nine, Cruel Intention. She plays Bunny which I put in the show notes, is Cecile's racist mom. Because that is 100% the character she's playing. I mean, this is like typical Christine Baranski, that mom. It's her thing, right? She nails it. She, it's her thing. Nails it. And that movie is such a has such a, a following now. Uh, Reese Witherspoon coming up the escalator. Ryan Felipe. Yeah. I like that movie quite a bit. It gets wild at the end. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Sarah Michelle Gellar is excellent in her role. Love that. She's movie. fantastic. And then 1999, Frasier. She does an episode and got an Emmy nom. Warren's favorite when they get Emmy nominated for their one guest guest spot. You got to give the shout out. Which makes sense. When you think about the cast of Frasier, she mm-hmm. would fit right into those two humans. All right, let's get to my favorite movie that I watched for prep of this. And that was the largest critic app, which is 1999's Bowfinger and Crystal drew this one as our guest once. I had never watched this film before. Neither had I. So, I mean, you have Steve Martin, you have Eddie Murphy, you have Heather Graham, you have Jamie Kennedy. So there's a bunch of names in this film. And Steve Martin is playing this director who sort of has this fledgling movie company. And he can't get the big star that he wants for his film. So they decide to shoot the film without the actor knowing. They just kind of invade his everyday life. They just run up on him at restaurants and stores. But he has no idea that he's in a movie. Fortunately for them, Eddie Murphy's having a bit of a, a, a mental breakdown. He's kind of in this Scientology-like cult. So he thinks he's just losing it. And so they continue to be able to make this movie until they discover a lookalike, which eventually turns out to be Eddie Murphy's brother. They don't know this at first. And so they end up sort of finishing the movie with him or whatnot. It's... It's an interesting movie. Not my favorite movie I've ever seen in my life. Christine Baranski plays Carol. She's on the screen a whole lot more, probably the most out of any of the films that we've talked about with her involved. Mm -hmm. And she plays kind of like this has-been actress, but she's clearly like a trained thespian, and she really wants to give her all to this film. She uh, really wants to meet 
you know, Eddie Murphy's character, but he doesn't know that he's in the movie. So that gets strange. And so, but she's sort of hardcore. I want to be a great actress. I want to do this really well. I love his technique. She's that sort of, you know, over the top flamboyant actress. And I would never watch this again. Oh, man. (laughs) I love Bowfingers so much. Me too. It came out in 1999. I didn't see it then. I mean, did people find this funny in 1999? I found it hilarious in 1999, and I still find it hilarious in 2023. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, we are not the same person. It's an 8161 gap, so it's not a huge gap. For yeah. the critics, but it's the biggest one she's got. Eddie Murphy had some zingers because it's Eddie Murphy, so <laughs> I think he has to. And I love Steve Martin, like love Steve Martin, but this didn't get me. I sent Rigby in case the final words already, which is that one scene where she is addressing Eddie Murphy outside like the coffee shop mm-hmm. and just losing her mind about yeah, him yep. like wanting to sleep with aliens and stuff. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's yes. it. Those are final words of the episode. Yes. Done. Put a wrap on it. I've always liked Bowfinger. I think it's a great satire of Hollywood. And I love Christine Baranski in this. I think she is perfect for that, like, Norma Desmond type. Like, she's a has-been who, like, really, you know, thinks she still has it. But, like, everybody knows she doesn't. But, yeah, she's going to give her all, just like you said, to this role. And, yeah, she's just desperate. Uh, I I love Bowfinger, and I love her performance in this. It's actually my favorite performance of her uh, career up there for me yeah i love this movie too i watched it when i was younger didn't remember too much about it watched it today literally just before we started this and this movie is really good i i enjoy it i to me it's an eddie murphy thing though like eddie yeah. murphy yeah i love eddie murphy yeah eddie murphy's the best part of it right so yeah he is he is mm-hmm. if any if it's anybody else this movie is significantly worse but he really carries out the premise to me is really clever driven by eddie murphy just being a legend is enough to carry me through this movie mm-hmm. time and time again <laughs> people might listen and be with you it's you never know. gonna be my jam from i laughed at the beginning before eddie sort of like was being followed by them he had some really good zingers and then i was like i can't i can't it's a, it's a critic gap or an audience gap film you want some dissent but christine i think was great at what she did in the yeah film. she was phenomenal all right, so the Willennium hits. You got to get the Willennium shot in there. Always, every episode. Very important. Crystal, come on, 83 episodes. I always squeeze in the Willennium. He says it every episode, Crystal, just to it's let you know. my shtick. And if I don't get it, Case reminds me. Oh, yep. God. That's what it is. But she's riding that momentum of Bowfinger into How the Grinch Stole Christmas. She plays Martha mm-hmm. May Huvier. Another one of my favorite roles of hers. Different, unique. I guess, I mean, yes. It's a similar character she's used to playing, but it's a different type of film, which I appreciated. She's a perfect looking who. Mm -hmm. That is true. I feel like this is probably her most iconic role. Yeah. I immediately think of this when I think of her. Mm -hmm. Her face was built to be a who. And obviously Jim Carrey. Crazy. Yeah. This is my favorite Christmas movie. Ever? The Grinch, really? This is my favorite. This is my favorite Christmas movie. I watch it every year. No, entirely. I, I watch it every year. Y'all are challenging me tonight. 2002, Chicago, another movie I'm shocked we've never talked about in our 83 episode run. So she many pl- people are in that movie. She plays Mary. It's because it sucks. Oh, shit. <laughs> Who said that? Rigby. Not me. I love Chicago. She plays a reporter, which she has, she has a decent number of scenes in there in the in the film but obviously it doesn't center around her at all iconic movie regardless of you i don't love it because i'm not a big musical guy but it's iconic obviously 
I'm not a big musical guy either, but I would say this is probably my favorite one. Ooh. I mean, everyone and their mom is in this movie. It's crazy. I, it's shocking. We've never talked about Navy Three episodes, truly, because it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, no, it does not suck. I know it won Best Picture. I know, I know. I just don't like it. Bring me over here, just because it sucks. <laughs> Major last review we're gonna get to before we kind of round out her career, and that is lowest critic score. So maybe we save the. The worst, the best for last? We'll find out in a second. Aubrey's going to cover Marcy X from 2003. Long pause. Here we go. So Marcy X is a comedy about a young, wealthy daughter of a businessman that helps to, that works to rein in a controversial hip-hop star, played by Damon Wayans, uh, when he becomes the target of a conservative senator's censorship of hip-hop ploy. The conservative senator is Christine Baranski. Partnership birth to save her father's hip-hop label that he discovers in the midst of some business situation turns into romance when marcy played by lisa kudrow and dr s which is the rapper fall for each other if i'm being generous a parody of like a 90s political movement to censor hardcore hip-hop music mm-hmm. it's terrible <laughs> it's terrible this movie's bad in about every possible way that it could be bad it's corny in about every possible way. Based off what I've told you, it takes every low-hanging fruit way through the story. Lisa Kudrow has an extended sequence in which she raps in front of black people. And it ends in cheers. She also ends the movie in a music video where she raps again. I... Your soul is full. Your soul, your heart is full right now. <laughs> the pitter patter. It's, it's you're like the Grinch. Your heart grew three sizes. I love hip hop, and I really love it. And I hate what this movie makes me feel because of listening to her <laughs> rap. Christine Baranski is in this movie. Not, I don't want to say a lot, but she has an extended part towards the end. This is going to sound weird. She's like the best. She's the best part of this movie. She's like the saving grace of it because her like conservative kind of staunchy, like she, that really works. The fact that she's doing it, which is, I guess, a theme of this episode. I would see like an extended comedy of just that character. Like we did a character of this person doing this bit. I would be interested in watching that movie because Christine Bransky does it really well. Fortunately, she's not in this movie very long. Probably half of the time that she's on screen, she's dancing to a terrible song by Damon Wayne. And the movie is awful. She does say something that genuinely made me laugh out loud, though. At the beginning of the movie, after we get a montage of Dr. S's work, she's saying to reporters, she's like doing her bit in front of everybody how terrible it all is. And she's just like, I would read the lyrics, but I'm a Christian, so I can't even pronounce the words. But here are some of the songs. And the song's titles are Shoot the Teacher, I Am the King of Your Mouth, (laughs) You My Special Bitch, I Love You Because I'm High, Six Grades Are Plenty, don't even know what that one means. That means you made it to sixth grade, Aubrey, come on. (laughs) It Ain't My Baby Because I Don't Like You, and Power in My Pants. All right. I think some of those titles could be Pretty funny rap songs. <laughs> I mean, They're hilarious I when it, read by Christine Baranski, though. Yeah. <laughs> right. That scene I think is, they could work. 
That scene is legitimately funny. Shoot the teacher is such a funny start. That's the first one she says. She goes from, such a I, funny can't say, I can't say the lyrics because I can't pronounce them. She goes, one of his songs, is sh- and it goes right into Shoot the Teacher. It's hilarious. I want to watch this movie now. You saw uh, me. The movie is so bad. 8% bad? It's Yeah. it's 60 critic reviews, 8%. That's really bad. It's one of those where like it's not a it's not offensively bad. I'm not gonna remember this movie forever and it make me mad every time I watch it, but it's it's just objectively one of the worst things I've ever actually seen. Okay. Like just from start to finish. This movie would question your love of cinema. Because you just <laughs> sit there and go, Why did this how did this happen? <laughs> There's great people in this movie. Damon Wayans is amazing. And I have no idea what he's doing. I love Damon Wayans. I don't think they would show it at the Bell Court. Absolutely not. I would not allow that to happen. <laughs> I don't think I would have them. Yeah. Next couple roles after the Marcy X. We've got a couple roles where she plays exactly what you'd expect. In the Mooseport, she plays Charlotte, Gene Hackman's ex-wife, who's in in the frame of the film a nightmare um in a lot of ways and she does it well she nails it i watched it for this i enjoyed it It was fun i i liked it one of the few free ones that were available out there yeah Yeah. and then a a movie we covered on the nev campbell episode uh that i talked about relative stranger she plays arlene ron Livingston plays nev campbell's husband in this he the whole concept is danny devito and kathy bates show up and pretend to be his parents and they're obviously very different than his adopted parents one who is played by christine baranski who is very much like i'm better than you who are these people blah 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 you know what i mean oh they live in a trailer park they're you know they're trash blah 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 so again right in her bag right in what she's really good at what she's really really good at on brand. Um, does an episode of American Dad, so it starts going into the animated side in the mid-2000s there. And you see, we talked about earlier, a lot of the animated stuff between 06 and 2023, so I think this was her first entry into that world. And then she returned to Broadway in Boeing, Boeing in 2008. So she had stepped away for a bit to do film and TV, and finally went back to the Broadway side. That shows she still had those chops. And then a classic, iconic Another movie we haven't talked about in 83 episodes. Again, shocking. Wow. But Mamma Mia, she plays Tanya, one of Meryl Streep's besties in the, this and the sequel. I saw a tweet that said the islands in Mamma Mia are the Wakanda for white people. <laughs> I don't even understand Black Panther, but I get that. That's an amazing tweet. You should see Black Panther. It's, a, it's like separately a good movie from the Marvel Universe. My favorite part about this movie is that when you learn, like, they were all getting fucking hammered on the set, like, every day. This had to be the most fun set of in history. Yeah, like you can tell. Oh, my God. Isn't that what you whites do when you get together on your islands? <laughs> You're not wrong. I mean, I don't have an island, but I would imagine. That is my favorite quote from all of the episodes of the movie. <laughs> is that what you all whites do? I can't wait to save the, that for blackmail later. Against Crystal. That's the IMDb description right there. If you ask me. <laughs> she said, 
this is by far her favorite role because all she did was get drunk with Meryl Streep to do research for it. That would be fun. He's best days with Meryl. Sounds like a blast. <laughs> yeah, she gets to sing. The movie ends with this whole song and dance performance with the three of them. Like, yeah. it had to be a ton of fun. You know what sucks is if you're an actor in a movie like this and you're having all this fun and you're on location and you guys are drinking and partying and then you find out, like Pierce Brosnan did, that you're the only one who can't sing. <laughs> like everyone else at least can carry somewhat of a tune. He's not a very good singer. Dude, he's terrible. It's like, oh, <laughs> It's like, I'm, I'm sexy, though. I'm handsome, charming, Pierce, but can't sing a lick. Sorry, guys. Can't have it all, people. I don't like this movie. I prefer the sequel, personally. I don't really like the original that much. I don't like either of them. I like the ABBA music like in the second one. The ABBA music's so upbeat. Come on, Aubrey. You don't like fun? You don't like white people? No, I don't like this kind of stuff. You don't like this kind of And I try. I've seen this movie now one and a half times. I saw it once because my wife likes it. She's white. So obviously, explains um, it. She's on the island. My mom likes. She's on, yeah, she got the invite to the island. They all out there. You come to the sandbar. That's the white version of it. You're allowed to like the sandbar. I tried. I put it on this time. We own it. I put it on. I made it halfway through. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I get it. I don't love this one. I love it. I get why people like it. So it's not one of those where it's like this movie is unequivocally yeah. terrible. Da 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 da. I just it's not for me. I will say. I guess my biggest take is I don't Meryl Streep can't sing. So when you say Pierce Brosnan is the only one that can't sing, she can't. She's actively bad. I think she's a bad singer. And this isn't (laughs) the only time I was able to say that in preparation for this episode. Like she's bad at singing. Oh, you're talking about End of the Woods too. (laughs) Which is a movie that I love and we'll talk about it (laughs) because she's really bad in that. Okay. It's just Meryl Streep, so people. That, that's the exact the thing I yeah, said. Yeah, I agree. My wife. Play. I guess the first time I saw the play, I was shocked at what it was about. <laughs> you just like I don't know. You don't expect it to be wild plug. Yeah, you know, it's like you know, it's literally like Jerry Springer, but in an island. I know, but it's happy, classy white people, so no one calls the oh. shit out. All right, uh, Big Bang Theory. She was do- played Doctor Hofstetter. And did 16 episodes over an 11-year span between 2009 and 2019. Four Emmy noms for that as well. I watched a handful of these. Perfectly cast for this role. She is. I haven't seen all of Big Bang Theory. I've seen, like, a few seasons. It's okay. She's she's really funny. She's a scientist, right, in this? Mm-hmm. So a psychologist. Yeah. Psychologist, that's it. It kind of just displays how talented she is. She just kind of falls in line. It's almost like I watch her walk in and be like, okay, this is what we're doing. Okay, cool. And then she does it better than everyone else. So it's just like, okay, this show is a lot better when you're on it. And she's just great in those little bits that she does. Now, there's this thing going on on Twitter now that's like, tell us an actor that you know, whether they're main character or not, you know when they're in it, it's going to be better. Right. And I think she's one of those people that when you put her in the right role, she's going to class yeah. up the joint no matter what it is. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Whether she has six lines or 15 lines, she's going to elevate what it is whenever she's there. Sure. She has that ability. You raise a good point because when I was watching her interviews, and especially when she talked about, she didn't get a chance to be a leading lady until she was in her 50s. 
Like, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and that role was in The Good Wife in 2009, um, which obviously went into The Good Fight. Yep. 20, so really, she, she's she been that character since 2009 all the way to 2022. She was that character for 15 years. And it's incredible. It took her that long to get there. She just played support supporting characters up to that point. I, I asked people, like, hey, do you know Christine Baranski? They didn't know her by name. But as soon as they saw her face or they heard her voice, they were like, oh, I know her from that from that sitcom. She's a late bloomer, which is weird to say, but But she'll say that herself, though. You know, Mm -hmm. we had 156 episode run on The Good Wife, six Emmy noms. I mean, biggest thing in her career. I I don't think that's an understatement. It's huge for her. So she won the first Tony she was nominated for and the first Emmy she was nominated for. And then she never won anything ever again. And so she said she knows what it feels like to win, but she's also become really great at losing. <laughs> she puts herself, she gets dressed up, she does the whole thing. But she says, after I won those first two times, she was like, I just sit in the audience. And she's like, I'm just really happy to be here. But she hasn't won anything since the first for those two awards. What is this show about? I lawyers, I think. They're attorneys. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's where our boy Gary Cole came into it, too, because her and Gary Cole have a, a romance throughout the show. I love Gary Cole. Which we talked about Gary Cole way back in the 30s. Oh, wow. And um, his role in this show. So it's kind of a sequel to Legal Eagles? <laughs> yeah. Just replace Daryl <laughs> Hannah. Got her out of the picture. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This show was huge. And the fact that she was in Big Bang Theory, too. I mean, those are two. At that time, those are TV's two big, big shows. shows. I think, two of them. Yeah. yeah. It's like this and Two and a Half Men, which I don't know how that was ever the biggest <laughs> one, but whatever. Um Chuck Lorre, that's why that guy's a genius. I know her and Chuck Lorre are really close because yeah, they've been they yeah. She seems like a two and a half men type like cameo character too. I'm surprised she didn't appear on that. Yeah, I didn't see anything. <laughs> Too busy doing 156 episodes of The Good Wife and wow, mm-hmm. that's crazy. You know, because at this time that she's not doing a ton of movies. It's just mostly doing the sitcom work. Which keeps you busy and keeps paying you, baby. Yep, I was gonna say we've talked about it a long time. It, even though network TV sucks, but if it's if you find if you find an avenue and you're getting a paycheck every every week every year, just keep doing it. No shame. I know one of her daughters is a lawyer, so I'm assuming. And one of the facts I saw was like, yeah, and because my daughter's a lawyer, I would be able to, you know, now know more about what it's like to be a lawyer in my character. And I'm assuming her daughter's a little older than if that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's she's in her 70s now. So, right. yeah, her daughters have to be in their 40s at this point. So they're well out of the nest by then. Our other daughter's the star of uh, Roswell, New Mexico. Oh, cool. Look at that. Love that. Family Guy. A couple episodes of that between 2013 and 2018. She is Cinderella's stepmother in Into the Woods, a movie we covered on the Emily Blunt episode. Talk about the singing. Okay, so her role in this movie fits into everything we've ever, we've said about her all throughout this episode. That's what she does. Bit is funny, unequivocally. I think this movie is great. <clears throat> I think it's a whole great scenario. I think the third act gets a little wavering. I don't love kind of how it ends, but I think this movie is great. I j- my only problem is that Meryl Streep isn't a great singer, and I really feel like I I think someone else should have played this role. I think Into the Woods is a better movie if Meryl Streep's not in it. <laughs> What if we got rid of Meryl Streep and James Corden? I don't think James Corden is bad in this. I think the only problem is that yeah. James Corden is married <laughs> to Emily Blunt in this, and you have to make that work in your mind. Past that, I don't really think he's bad in this. Yeah, And it, it doesn't. doesn't. It, it doesn't. doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. 
but but Chris Pine saves it because he's charisma incarnate. I think this movie is really great, though. Aubrey, are you saying there's Emily Blunt has no chance at James Corden? Is that what you're saying? Yes, that is how I was. That's how I was phrasing that. <laughs> no exactly what he's saying. Way out of her. Oh my god! Is this the movie with with the uh, creepy Johnny Depp yes. rapey wolf? Yep. Yep. <laughs> that was the part that took me out. They deliberately tried to make it less creepy. That's one of the things I read about it. Meryl Streep, obviously, from an acting standpoint, does a lot of really great things and makes the movie work because she's maybe the best I've ever seen. But the problem is she has like really powerful songs. She doesn't hit those parts. And so I would have rather seen someone else do it. I would have rather seen Christine Bransky do it. You can actually sing. Another actor who ended up on BoJack Horseman, two episodes between 2015 and 2019. There are many animals on BoJack. Does anybody know what kind of animal she played? Peacock. Peacock. Okay, that's good. Good guess. Good starter guess. I love Mr. Peanut Butter. I think he's funny. And uh, what's his agent's <laughs> name? Is it like Rami? Princess Kitty or some sh- shit and like some shit like that. <laughs> she plays a walrus or a manatee. It's like a combo. It could be one or the other Ooh. that walks on land. I like that. It's kind of expanding her range. <laughs> <laughs> She's playing an animal. Not yeah, everybody can do that. that. So. I'm impressed. She's got that voice, you know. I'm glad she's using Very it. Very important. Another voice role in Trolls alongside Zoe Deschanel, 2016. Plays Chef, not Chef from South Park, but a different type of chef. <laughs> <laughs> they would be hilarious listening to Christine Baranski doing a version of Chef. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, children. <laughs> I want to make love to you. <laughs> that would be funny. Great to have these on point tonight, though. Miss Sloan, a movie we covered on the Goo Goo and Botha Raw episodes, Jessica Chastain and John Lithgow. Now number four, and her role is very tiny in this movie. She plays a congresswoman. She's in one scene. Uh, she's like chain smoking. And if you blink, you'll miss her. She um, says to Jessica Chastain, all you're missing is a dick because Jessica comes in and she's like, you know, this hardcore lobbyist. I like that movie. Mm-hmm. I do, too. The movie. I know James is a fan. Miss Sloan? Yep. Yeah, it's great. What's funny about what you said, Crystal, is because I, I look up photos of, of all the roles for like collages and trivia and stuff. And the only photo I can find of her in the movie is a still where it says the only thing you're missing is a dick. <laughs> yes, that's her huge you know, line. And she's like smoking, I think. And Yep. Yeah. So small role. And then The Good Fight starts in 2017, 60 episodes of that. A Golden Globe now for her role in that alongside Gary Cole. And a role we've talked about a few times that I know Aubrey and I enjoy, and that's even though the critics didn't enjoy it, is her role as Ruth in A Bad Mom's Christmas. If you're looking for like the pinnacle Christine Baranski as an asshole, you go for a lot worse movies than A Bad Mom's Christmas um, alongside Susan Sarandon and Christina Applegate. She is a terror in this movie. She desperately wants her version of Christmas for uh, Mila Kunis' character, no matter what. And it is obnoxious. Those movies are a good time. <laughs> I feel bad for her husband. He just feels like, I feel like he's getting cucked the whole movie. <laughs> <Like> just, <laughs> for sure. Like, more power. We don't kink shame here. More power to you, but. <laughs> we cuck shame, though. We definitely cuck shame. <laughs> oh, my God. We cuck shame James Marsden like crazy, so. <laughs> Mamma Mia, here we go again. The sequel in 2018, and then between 2019 and 2022, 
She did 15 different TV shows, including The Simpsons in 2021, and those shows were anywhere from one episode to 16 episodes. So the the latter part of her career here has been very much on the television side. She's in a show on HBO uh, where she's actually one of the main characters called The Gilded Age, and it did so well that they renewed it for a second season. They said it did better than White Lotus, and it's like a period piece, which is uh, not my favorite thing, so it's not necessarily for me, but she's playing a rich, pretentious New Yorker in like the late 1800s, and as you could guess, she she does very well in that role. It's an incredible show about the Gilded Age, which I work at a school that's named after one of those people. Um, <laughs> it's the Rhine, the Rhine family that she plays. They got all these incredible Broadway actors because it was the pandemic and Broadway was closed. So they went and cast all these incredible humans that they could have never gotten before. But they were like, yeah, we'll totally come and do this show and we'll see what happens. And then they sort of shut down New- this part of New York because nobody was outside and rebuilt this incredible neighborhood. And the Gilded Age, these people were just obnoxiously rich. It was just ridiculous. And she's fantastic in the show, like perfect for it, like made for it. And she's so quick with it and cuts people in a very like polite way. You know, she's incredible. Mm-hmm. But also has a socially conscious aspect to her because they do deal with race relations during that time period. This is post the Civil War. So she's not playing a, a pure racist this time around, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't help but laugh because she is like just so quick and will cut people immediately and it's just incredible to watch she's great yeah i started watching the show so not cecile's mom in cruel intentions that's what i'm hearing no she's redeeming herself but i can't wait till the second season comes out i i just thought that show was just phenomenal absolutely phenomenal and i think everyone on that show most of them have won a tony and could probably make this into an amazing musical it's not but I think most of the core actors have won a Tony, if not more. Yeah. It's fantastic. I like the chemistry she has with Cynthia Nixon, where yeah. Christina Bransky is like the sharp, like smart, but like quick witted and kind of mean. And Cynthia Nixon is like just this flowery kind of airhead. I think they play off each other really well. Yeah. But you can tell that Christine Baranski has a lot of hurt too that kind of starts to come out she didn't get married for love she got married for money she had to Mm -hmm. and so she's supporting the entire family and so that story starts to come out just because that's what women had to do at that point in time so worth a watch if you haven't watched it i'm not all the way through it yet but it's it's beautiful to look at it's it's well acted for the most part christine brancy's amazing also shout out to carrie coon (laughs) whom i love she's great and everything Absolutely. absolutely it's a great show watch it if you can yeah. Big time for it. Universal praise. I love it. I need to watch it. Oh, yeah. And the fact that they even address the Black experience during this time period. I was surprised. And the fact that, that there were Black women, black people who were wealthy and doing very well in society. And you would never know that from your everyday history course. I think they just, they really do everything in this show spot on. Just incredibly well. I cannot wait for season two. Cannot wait. Love that. And then the last thing I'll, I'll note here is Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. But Regina, it's a film that's available, I think, on Netflix as well. And then I was texting with somebody just before this, and I, they asked who we were covering. I said Christine Bransky, and the movie they brought up was one that wasn't even in our show notes. Is The Ref. Oh, dude, that yeah, it's the whole start to my review. Yeah, Dennis Leary, Kevin Spacey. I love The Ref. Yeah, I was like, oh, shit, we should have probably kept that in, because that's the first one that this person mentioned. I was like, okay, The Ref. 
pepper that in. I've never seen it. I know about it. He like takes some hostage or something, doesn't he? Yeah. So the the ref is it's a Christmas movie, and it's a uh, these two guys are robbing mansions in like the Connecticut, Boston, New England area. And they rob Kevin Spacey and his wife, whose name escapes me, uh, Judy Davis. And they're going through this like horrific, disintegrating marriage slash divorce. And so when Dennis Leary gets there to rob them, they're actually so distraught that they don't even care that he's robbing them. They just want to continue to fight and have their divorce. <laughs> and while he, he becomes the ref because they're hosting Christmas and their uh, in-laws show up and Christina Bransky is the sister-in-law and the in-laws are so distraught and like over this relationship that they don't even care that they're being robbed. And it's just like obviously a farce and it's a, a comedy. It's my favorite role of hers. Like every line she has is just the best one-liner burn for this where it's like, hey, if everyone doesn't shut up, I'm going to shoot her. And she's like, shoot her. No one cares. Shoot her. Like, we don't, like, I don't care if she dies. And it's like Christmas dinner where this is happening. It, it is a very funny movie. I pray. Yeah, it's great. Favorite Bransky role. That's really high praise. I'm glad I brought it up. I'm glad that person texted me about it then. We're at the peak here, which usually means we go to Rigby for some top performances and see what we can guess. I think you guys probably ran into this list, but this is her uh, most iconic performances ranked from Collider. February 2022, coinciding with the release of The Gilded Age. TV and film, maybe? TV and film, and it is ranked, and it's 9 to 1. All right. Love the list. I feel like we have to start with Bowfinger. Sadly, it's not on here. Whoa! Crystal gets the win on that one. <laughs> oh, Jack Horseman. Nope. <laughs> it's got to be like uh, The Good Fight and Sybil. Okay, so The Good Wife and Good Fight is number three. I was surprised because I thought that'd be number one. Yep. Mamma Mia? Mamma Mia is number two. Sybil on there? James said Sybil. Sybil is number five. Cruel Intentions. Cruel Intentions is not on here. The Grinch. The Grinch is number one. Yeah, it has to be. And uh, James, I think you said this is this is what you Feel think validated. of when you think of Christine Baranski. So. <laughs> yeah, this is the iconic role. Man, so many of hers are so small, though. I'm like... <sighs> think of a, a big movie in the 90s that we talked about. Nine and a half weeks. No. Oh, The Birdcage. Birdcage, yep. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's number four. Very high. So Crystal will be happy to hear that The Gilded Age is actually on here. Nice. Should be. It should be. It's good. What number? That is number six. Okay. Pretty high. We need seven, eight, and nine. Look at us. How about the ref? The ref's not on here. Uh, how about her role as the nymphomaniac in Love Sick? <laughs> yes. <laughs> nope. Oh. I agreed with Kyle. That should definitely be on the list. Crystal, are you new here? Come on. We, you know, we did. Chicago? Chicago. Nice, Crystal. That's number seven. Look at us going down the list. Adam's family? Adam's Family, number eight. Yeah, I like that. I still found the list. Rightfully I think She's great in that. All right, so we just need number nine? New Jersey Drive. I wish. New Jersey Drive. Number nine is a controversial one, it sounds like. Oh. Into the Woods? Into the Woods. No, she's, I mean, she's fine. Really? Not her. Damn, Crystal, you're good at this. Yeah, you nailed that. I just listen to y'all. it's called active listening (laughs) so recap the top three again rigby how the grinch stole christmas mama mia and the good wife slash good fight all right let's get into the munson meter what we do we rate every actor on a scale of zero to 100 based on a variety of factors that could include anything from longevity 
project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, awards footprint, any other talents they might have, personal life, comedic chops, box office success, or anything else that matters to us as Munson's. And this time we will start with James. So I'm glad we covered the ref because I was going to start with the ref's great Christmas movie. Highly suggest you check it out. It's the first time I was introduced to her and it's stuck in my head because it really summarized what I think I like the most about her, which is was hard for me to like kind of figure out because when you first think of her, you don't think this, but I think she's funny. I think she is great at playing this like pretentious, condescending and waspy, but funny character. And it's interesting to learn about her because it's clearly not how she is and where she came from, but she's even like kind of self-aware of it. She, she said, you know, I'm, I might not have been a leading lady, but I got to wear great clothes and a bunch of funny lines and it's added more flexibility, which I think has added more longevity to my career, which I think is very self-aware and, I agree with it. I, he always plays someone who's kind of sophisticated, um, but I think my favorite favorite trait of hers is that I just think she's funny. She has a ton of awards and nominations and is a Broadway legend, obviously, in the Hall of Fame, which brought her score up higher than I honestly expected it to be, Which because she's mostly a supporting actress, and I couldn't picture her at first when, we, when I saw the name on the wheel. But after all these accolades, her score got up to a 62. Rigby. Yeah, I like Christine Baranski. I think she's hilarious. I'm with you, James. Obviously, Bowfinger, her character in that is just I think she just nails that. She's not a she's not the biggest character in the movie, but I think she's one of the most memorable. Like I said, she obviously made a alley in TV in the 2000s and has kind of stayed there and really doesn't really have to go anywhere else because you know, when you're on a hit TV show, Week after week, you've you've done a good job with your with your career, I'd say, and you're the you're the main character. So I'm gonna give her a not not a very high score, but definitely not a low score. I'm gonna give her a 72. All right, case tough to compare her to the rest of our list as we continue to add actors. It becomes more and more effective to compare. Right, tough for her to compare because of like Rigby just talked about. She she hit a real sweet spot and and has lived in that. But I'll tell you this, I do like, she's been at the game a long time. James said, really funny, I appreciate that. Seems pretty humble, enjoys being an actress, highly respected amongst other actors, which I always, I always take note of when I hear other actors being very, very complimentary of people we're covering. I think being a fan of the theater, like real theater that I am, obviously she's going to get the Broadway bump. That's big for her. We alluded to this earlier, and I had it in my notes. Before uh, I want to give my score, I want, I'm taking notes, and I'm prepping for our Munson Meter re-scoring episode. Top of my list is James Marsden. And following up on her, if I continue to check out some of her stuff, it'll definitely be Baranski. That being said, I'm going to give her 60. Crystal, our guest Munson. I enjoy Christine Baranski, obviously. I do think she is super witty and funny. And like I said, I think she just always elevates whatever she's in. And whatever she takes, she does it incredibly well. It doesn't matter how small or how big it is. I think her versatility is someone who can be on the stage, someone who can be on a sitcom, someone who can do BoJack Horseman. You know, she can she can play in many different arenas, and I appreciate that about her. I think also she's an older working woman in Hollywood, and that is not always 
available as you get older. She's in her 70s and she's on an incredibly popular show on HBO Max, right? And she does it ridiculously well. And as you all know how Hollywood treats women as they get older, the fact that she's still working and working the way that she is, I think is pretty fantastic, right? And so I... I value that about her and the perspective that she brings to the table. And like you said, I think she really cares about being an actress. I think she cares about her craft. She cares about doing it well. And I heard a podcast of hers recently and she was saying, I'm still learning. She's like, I'm still trying to figure out how to work the camera and do that like other really good sitcom actors and actresses. So I appreciate that about her as well, you know? Um, So I'm going to give her, I think I'll give her a 70 Right. I'm going to mention a few things that you all didn't mention that I liked about her. I think she's a great singer. I've, I've seen her sing multiple roles on and off stage. I think she's great. So I want to give her some points there. I, I respect that she's grinded it out, that she didn't really get a chance to be a lead until later in her career. And now she's enjoying a renaissance. And I think it's 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 not typical. Normally, they, they kind of burst on the scene. They do amazing work in the 80s, 90s, or 2000s, whatever it happens to be, and then they kind of peter out, right? She's kind of seen the opposite happen over the past two decades, and I think that's really cool. And she obviously has a, a particular type of character that she does really well, but I think she has more range than just that. When you dig into her filmography, I think you figure that out pretty quickly. And I got to give her a lot of credit for her stage work, the awards that she's gotten, winning Tonys. We haven't covered many of actually won Tonys. A lot of folks who have done a lot of stage work, but haven't won that that pinnacle award. And she's a remarkably like clean person off screen. She not that she's doing a ton of like philanthropic work that I could find, but she's not very dramatic. She doesn't have a lot of like chaos going on in her personal life. Yeah. And that's not always the case with people that we cover. And I, I put a lot of weight in that. If she was doing more philanthropic work, I would give her more points. So uh, but I think I'm going to give her what I think is a pretty decent score when you weight everything. I'm going to give her 69. Aubrey, finish this out. Like Gina Davis, if you just ask me, how, like, oh, what do you think about Christine Bransky? I would just instinctively say, I love Christine Bransky. Like, and it's for a similar reason as Gina Davis. I'm tied to a movie that she did that is just something that is important to me. And so I just, I was excited for this. I think that she's a great actor. I think the the thing that I can see throughout this and that's clear is her talent. She's hugely talented. And for me, a big thing when I, when I go into rating them, I'm looking for a moment or a film or a series of films where you get to see the full weight of that talent on display. And I didn't get that opportunity here. And that part was uh, honestly, it was frustrating because I, because I, you can see glimpses of it there. And I just wanted to be like, can someone kind of let her go? which was really exciting about the Gilded Age because I only got to see a couple episodes, but she gets in her bag in that. And I, that's what I want to see because she is like supremely talented, which is clear from all of the awards she's gotten from the other stuff that she's done. She's funny. She can sing all the other stuff that you guys said. I think she's great. I think the work isn't really there from what I saw, which is disappointing. And it's not really her fault. I think it's a Hollywood thing more than it is anything else. She just came in at the wrong time. So I give it a really tentative 65, even though I think she's supremely talented. All right. Well, with that, that gives Christine Baranski a 66.33 
which puts her in 58th place, which is <laughs> almost <laughs> spot on to that snapshot. Almost spot on. 57th on the box office, right? Mm-hmm. And we were, it was at 57th before Aubrey gave a score. So I was really hoping he'd give her 66 so we could land at 57th. Next time, just text me that. Yeah. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> Next time, just text you. <laughs> we don't have time. I, I don't, I want to, I want to see if the universe aligns. But in 58th place, that puts her between Dennis Haysbert and Gary Cole, her good fight co star. Very cool. Um, okay. That makes sense. Okay, uh, Aubrey, what does she have coming? Unfortunately and surprisingly, not a lot. She's got an animated series that comes out in July called Praise PD. And then in development, she has Bad Moms Moms, which is objectively a terrible title. Oh, uh, dramatically a bad title, too. Couldn't they just stop at Christmas? Nope, because it probably made enough money. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. We got to circle back on this one. Which I, keep it coming. I mean, Gilded Age Season 2 will be eventually coming at some point in time. Yeah. So yeah. that's the one you hang your hat on. So next episode's going to hit on June 1st. We have Dan Craig coming back, one of our OG uh, guests. He was here for Chris O'Dowd, Tim Roth, Willem Dafoe, David Spade, and Maggie Smith. What a weird list. I know. It's a, well, quite the odd combo. <laughs> so weird. What an odd combo of humans. But here are the five that the wheel is choosing from that were randomly generated. We have John Ortiz, James McAvoy, William Atherton, Mila Kunis, and Kevin Hart. William Atherton? Are you serious? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Such a weird list of people. Who is William Atherton? Never heard that name in my life. William Atherton is is uh, the creepy reporter in Die Hard. The one I always think of with him is uh, Biodome. He plays Biodome. The, the guy running Biodome. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I can't think of anything else he's even in besides that and Die Hard. So that'll be interesting. I'm cool with anyone but him. Yeah, Ghostbusters is the only other one I can think of. Oh, Ghostbusters. Yeah, you're right. I hope it's McAvoy. McAvoy. I was about to say, because what? I hope it's McAvoy. It's kind of- McAvoy would be funny. He's a pretty darn good actor. Actor. I'd love to hear people's thoughts on uh, Split. No, I liked Split. Yeah, I liked Split. I know. Wasn't he in that terrible um, oh, Anna Karenina? Wasn't he in that? Yeah, with uh, Karen Island. Yeah, that movie sucks. But he's also in Atonement, which is amazing. Oh, wow. That's the thing. Maybe that's what Atonement I'm is Atonement. great. Yeah, I Atonement's like it. awesome. I love that movie. I think he's in the second best X-Men movie ever. <laughs> Mark Phoenix? No, yeah, first class. He's great. I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hey, he's in the It movies too. You're right. It Chapter Two. Yeah, the new It films. I wouldn't watch that. So we not excited about the Kevin Hart episode? I mean, we we've watched a lot of stuff with The Rock. What are you going to talk about? Yeah, a lot of bad movies. Was he in Pets? With Kevin Hart. Secret Life of Pets. He plays the bunny in Secret Life of Pets. That's right. That's what it is. Psycho Bunny. Mm-hmm. We can talk about his stand-up, too. I've always enjoyed Kevin Hart's stand-up. He's got some funny stuff. Great stand-up. Yeah, I saw him live. There's some hidden gems. You saw him live? Kevin Hart? Yeah, he came to Nashville, and so I saw him live do his stand-up. Yeah. I want to do that. We'd get to talk about him drunk on the stage at the Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl win. That's fun. Yeah, he's from Philly. Mm-hmm. Pinnacle he got, of his career. <laughs> he got arrested. For real? Yes. <laughs> Hammered. I thought rich people don't get arrested. Oh, wait, we would get to talk about Soul Plane. Soul Plane? Yeah, I'm here for the Soul Plane <laughs> conversation. I'm here for the Soul Plane yes, conversation. Yes, it was like one of his 
his first thing that he did. Now, okay, I changed my mind. I want the Kevin Hart episode just because I want, want the Kevin Hart I want episode. this podcast to talk about Soul Plane. I was going to say, I've never seen Soul Plane. I'd love to watch it. I'm going to give you the most in-depth analysis of Soul Plane on a spiritual and poetic level. I don't think you will. Death <laughs> <laughs> at a funeral, little fuckers. I mean... He's got he's got some fun with the wedding ringer. Oh no! I'm most interested in John Ortiz because I don't know much about him, but I like him every time I see him on screen. Why? What's he in? What has he done? He's in the Fast and Furious movies. I'll tell you how much <laughs> he is. He is. He plays Campos in the Fast and Furious movies. Oh him. American Gangster, Silver Linings Playbook. I love American Gangster. So good. He was in Horse Girl, Allison Brie. Do you like that movie? I actually did like Horse Girl. I know I realized I'm one of like the five people who liked it. It's an experience. It's an experience. It does dementia in sad ways, and it was the first time I've seen it done in like a horror movie sci-fi way. I, I enjoyed the twist. He's good in Miami Vice too. I liked him in that movie. My vote is John Ortiz because he's in Peppermint with Jennifer Garner. And Jennifer Garner is at a massive resurgence. She has. Once you got rid of Ben Affleck, life got way better. He rules. Divorce looks good on women. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, she's thriving. That's right. I really don't want Mila Kunis. Does that make me? I just don't really care that much for Mila Kunis. What has she been in? Bad Mom. Me either. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. That last movie she was in on that Netflix one was awful. Which one was that? Luckiest Girl Alive? Yeah, Luckiest Girl Alive, yeah. Luckiest Girl Alive, that's what it is. Really good, but I didn't like the movie at all. The movie was terrible. She's in the classic Jupiter Ascending that we talked about a while back. I've never seen it. <laughs> I Who Jumped Me, y'all can watch that. Black Swan, Forgetting Sarah Murphy. Yeah, Black, Swan. Black Swan's great. I'll just watch Black Swan a bunch of times. Me too. She was in Ted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she plays his girlfriend in Ted. She's got a big role in that. She's in some decent films, I just don't really... Maybe I would care more on the back end. But Gia? Gia was a good movie. I will not watch Annie again. <laughs> no, I'm not. No one's going to force you to. So I think you're good. <laughs> again. <laughs> Who do we think Dan Craig would pick? Kevin Hart. Craig, you're 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 Dan Craig's boy. Who is he picking from that list? <laughs> For the joke, he would love to do Will Atherton. <laughs> Dan Craig's good like that. So that I want that's going to be my that's going to be my my vote. Will Atherton. That's your vote. He said, oh, no. <laughs> so I only got to watch two movies. Well, no, you got to watch Die Hard and Die Hard oh, 2. Yep. Very important. You're right. Exactly. We'll see. Dan Craig doesn't pick. He doesn't decide. Crystal doesn't decide. The universe doesn't decide. The wheel decides. And we'll see what happens. Ooh. All right, Crystal. We've, we've reached the end. You're so much fun. It's great. We have a great time. Y'all are fun, too. This is your chance to plug anything that you, I know last time you plugged the bell court or any words of wisdom for our audience. This is your red carpet moment. Go see a thousand and one immediately. <laughs> go see it, support it. And please just go to the movie theaters, please. We need you to go to the movie theaters. Do it. I need your butts and seats. That's all I've got. Love it. Well, as we wrap things up, you can always find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can Instagram us, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Christine Baranski? You bastard, bastard, bastard! Because you, you prefer alien love. Munson's out. All right, let's go.
Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? Mamma mia, here I go again. My, my, how can I resist ya? Mamma mia, does it show again?